Welcome to Broadway Radio's review recap episode for the sixth Broadway production of Death of a Salesman. My name is Matt Tamanini. If you are listening to this on Patreon, it is a standalone episode in your feed. If you are hearing this in the regular feed, welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, October 10th, 2022. This iconic play by Arthur Miller originally ran on Broadway in 1949 at the Morosco Theater, which was torn down in 1982 to make room for the gem of New York's theater district, the Marriott Marquis Hotel and Theater. This fifth Broadway revival, the one most recently following 2012's, which starred Philip Seymour Hoffman, Andrew Garfield, Linda Amond, Bill Camp, John Glover, and more, is a transfer from London's Young Vic Theatre, where it played before the pandemic in 2019. In that incarnation, Miranda Cromwell and Marion Elliott co-directed the piece, but Cromwell is helming the Broadway production on her own, as Elliott has transitioned into a producer role. Returning from the London run are Wendell Pierce and Sharon D. Clark as Willie and Linda Lohman. Joining them on Broadway are McKinley Belcher III, Chris Davis, Andre DeShields, and more. In this production, the Lohman family is played by black actors, adding new layers of complexity and nuance to Miller's iconic story. All right, let's get into the reviews, starting first with Jesse Green of the New York Times, who made the show a critic's pick, writing, quote, Marina Cromwell's revival does more than give us black Lomans. It also crucially puts them in a largely white world. Willie's employer, his neighbor, and his mistress are thus more than foils in the usual sense. Like Willie, you can never untangle the personal, economic, and now racial threads of their behavior. And even if they aren't bigots, they electrify moments. A card game with the neighbor, a negotiation with the boss, in which Willie's paranoia seems at the same time both fantastical and well-founded. Wendell Pierce as Willie is wrenching as he flails and fails to avoid his fate instead of slumping into it from the start. And Sharon D. Clark as Linda is so paradoxically shattering in her stoicism that she turns what is usually portrayed as unshakable loyalty into a kind of heedless comorbidity. Brittany Samuel of Broadway News wrote, quote, Over time, a lot has been made of the universality of Death of a Salesman and how this story, which in most major productions has centered on a white family in the 1940s, retains contemporary relevance across race, gender, and time. The current Broadway staging, in which dark-skinned black actors have been cast as the Lomans, proves the opposite is true. While, as written, Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman can claim ubiquitousness, director Marina Cromwell's production is a pointed investigation of black survival. Scenes that call for a Loman to interact with someone outside the family, mostly portrayed by white actors, tilt in the face of racial discrimination. Willie being infantilized by his much younger white boss, Biff being ushered to the back of a restaurant by a white server, or even Happy's boasts of sexually ruining the young wives of executive managers. Not a lick of Miller's script has been altered, and yet we're given reams of new subtext about the anxiety, trauma, stress, and stakes at hand. As an aside, before I get back to the rest of Samuel's review, I will note that Green's review actually does point out a few instances in which Miller's script was amended, but those were more for like logistical changes, like moving the school that Biff wants to play football at from the University of Virginia to UCLA because UVA didn't admit its first black student until 1950, after the play takes place. But obviously the crux of Samuel's point there remains true. She continues, quote, 
Pierce as Willie Loman is a gift as good as any you'd find on Christmas morning. The man is no stranger to memorable performances, but here he has surpassed his own esteem. His operatic voice travels from commanding to croaking in a single breath. With remarkable dexterity, he conjures blinding anger for his son, soft adoration for his wife, and immense shame for himself. Close attention is paid to posture. We see Pierce as Willie feigning erection so the characters around him buy into this projection of a confident man, his most futile sale. And what to say about Clark's Linda, or rather when to stop saying things. Most published editions of Death of a Salesman run over 100 pages long. I could easily scribble three times as much about Clark's emotionally textured performance. Marilyn Stasio for Variety wrote, quote, as this production from The Young Vic in London reminds us, Arthur Miller's 1949 drama packs a mighty punch. Pierce portrays Willie as a hero for both his time and ours, a complex human being with grave character flaws, but a good man for all that. Under the careful direction of Miranda Cromwell, Pierce sensitively scrutinizes this deluded man's foolish worship of the American dream, which he narrowly interprets as material success. And finally, Matt Winman of AM New York said, quote, The performances are individualized and powerful, including Pierce's mercurial Willie, jovial and hammy, then innocently bewildered and shaking, Clark's tough-as-nails weathered Linda, whose handling of the attention-must-be-paid monologue is superb, Chris Davis's soft and sensitive Biff, and McKinley Belcher III's oily and upbeat happy. As Willie's long-lost brother Ben, Andre De Shields displays the same strutting, stylized air that marked his Tony-winning performance in Hadestown. If you would like to read more of these and other reviews, we will have a link to the Broadway World Review recap in the show notes. So, that is all that we have for you. If you're listening to this on Patreon, have a wonderful Monday and the start of your week. If you're listening to this in the regular feed, I will send you over to the rest of Today on Broadway. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, October 10th, 2022. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, uh, you have been traveling, so you might not have realized that we didn't have a Today on Broadway on Friday because, oh. I, well, you know this part because you were on the text chain. I had no internet for most of Friday, which was really obnoxious. Or no, I mean most of Thursday, I'm sorry. But I was able to do... A review recap episode for 1776 and was able to hotspot it enough so that my little meager cell phone internet provider can uh, get that episode uploaded. Um, So we have that. So we do have some news to kind of catch up on, but there is some really interesting stuff that I want to discuss in today's show. But before we get into that, I want to remind you that over the weekend, we had a new episode of This Week on Broadway that had not one, not two, not three, but four different folks on the panel talking about some of these great fall openings. Uh, James and Peter were joined by Jenna Tessa Fox and Jan Simpson. They talked about a ton of stuff, including Leopold Stott, uh, Cost of Living, uh, 1776, Baldwin and Buckley at Cambridge, I'm Revolting, Dodie and Diana. So lots of great stuff there. So make sure that you listen to that. And then depending on whether you are listening to this in the regular feed or on Patreon, there will be a review recap episode for the Broadway revival of Death of a Salesman that is opening on Sunday night. So if you're listening to this in Patreon, there will be a standalone episode for that. If you are listening to this in the regular feed, you have already heard those reviews. Uh, Of course, it is opening at the Hudson Theater. It is directed by Miranda Cromwell and stars your 
love Sharon D. Clark and Wendell Pierce, along with uh, Andre DeShields and many others. So uh, lots going on. Busy week this week coming up, Grace. Um, I'm not going to do like a whole talk about it in the show because we've got a lot of other news. But I do want to mention that Kimberly Akimbo begins its Broadway previews on Wednesday the 12th. K-pop begins its Broadway previews on Thursday the 13th. That is the same night that Piano Lesson officially opens on Broadway. We'll obviously be talking about those shows even more throughout the coming days and weeks, but wanted to get those on everybody's radar before we get into the news. And just saying, if you're kind of like wanting some musical theater, but there's a lot of new shows opening and you can't get a ticket to a Broadway show, but also you want to like see some like spicy Broadway performers, Orfe and Andy Carl have their show at Sony Hall on October 14th on yeah. Friday. Legally so, bound, yeah. Legally bound. It's happening again. So just saying, you got to get there. It's a good show. Yes, it's very good. All right, so let's get into the news. Let's start with something that we had kind of been theorizing about. You probably knew a lot more about this than I did because reasons. Um, But on Thursday, I believe it was, the upcoming Broadway production of Ain't No Mo announced its complete cast. And included in that cast were a number of folks who were in the off-Broadway original production, including Crystal Lucas Perry, who just opened up 1776 as John Adams. We knew that she was departing the show. We just didn't exactly know when or why. We know now she is joining the previously announced playwright Jordan E. Cooper, who will be again starring in the show as he did off Broadway. Also from the 2019 production joining the show on Broadway will be Fedna Jaquette, Marchant Davis, Ebony Marshall Oliver, uh, and they will be joined by Mm -hmm. Shannon Metesky and a whole host of understudies as well. This show will begin performances at the Belasco Theater on November 3rd ahead of a December 1st opening night. It's an interesting, we don't see this very often, where a star of one Broadway show leaves within a couple weeks after opening to go be a part of another Broadway show. But when it's when it, but when it's part of a production that they helped originate off Broadway, it makes sense. It puts a lot more clarity onto why she would leave 1776 Grace. When it was first announced, I kind of just like, well, did she get a TV show? Did she get a movie? This makes, mm-hmm. it's not that. That would have made <laughs> sense. But this makes sense too. If you're going to leave one show for another one, it, it it would track that it is something that you've had a long history in developing. Yeah, it's a really special show, like hearing all of them talk about it. And even like during their first read through first rehearsal, everybody was weeping at the table. Um, It was a really special moment of like everybody being like, we have to do this show. We have to do this play. So I I have a feeling that she has a lot of conviction for for carrying on this story, seeing it through from the public to Broadway. And there's a ton of Broadway uh, debuts in the show as well. So I'm I'm thrilled to see that she's getting to kind of have the best of all the worlds with this, you know, thrilling revival as well as. As this brand new play the only comedy by the way that is coming to broadway this season right now oh man that's a good point yeah another show that is coming to new york here in the next few ish months but is definitely not a comedy is the first major new york revival of lorraine hansberry's the sign in sydney brewstein's window this is coming to the brooklyn academy of music or bam it is uh, going to be running from february 4th through the 23rd although 
I would imagine with this kind of cast, they might be having some sort of extensions. But it will star mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac and Rachel Brosnahan. Those two both have had a lot of success on both television and film, but have deep and abiding roots in in theater and dramas specifically. This play debuted on Broadway in 1964, which was just five years after A Raisin in the Sun and the year before Lorraine Hansberry died at the age of 34. It has not had a major New York production since, although... The director, Ann Kaufman, who is presenting the show at BAM, did have a highly acclaimed revival uh, at Chicago's Goodman Theater back in 2016. Mm. This is a show that chronicles a group of diverse friends, the 1960s living in Greenwich Village, who, quote, loudly proclaim progressive dreams that can't quite match up with reality. So uh, sounds like something that is very appropriate for this time. And yeah. obviously, anytime we have Lorraine Hansberry work on stage, that is a, a very good thing, especially after how many years it has been since mm-hmm. uh, since this has actually been seen in a New York major production. You know, it's funny. I feel like Rachel Brosnahan's never going to escape the 60s. Like, I feel like <laughs> they put her in that place. But also what's interesting is, like, first of all, Oscar Isaac, like, is he just like saying, hey, I want to do all the theater? Like, he does. He's a theater do guy. The- I know. But it's so funny. And also, I want to shout out the fact that like, what's funny is Rachel Brosnahan actually did an early workshop of Almost Famous as Penny Lane. And a oh, lot of really? people don't realize that. So like, there's going to be a couple of things that she's like, yeah, she's been a part of it. Like she's she was eager to be in this Broadway season, maybe. I don't know. But um, I think that's well, really off-bro- cool. Yeah, this is off Broadway. But, but mm-hmm. the New York scene, it's there. Yeah. It's happening. I mean, it's she's, yeah, she's a Broadway, you know, she's been on Broadway before. She mm-hmm. did, um, I, well, she was even more recently, she played Desdemona uh, opposite Daniel Craig and David, David Oyelowo in Othello off Broadway, but she was also in The Big Knife uh, from Roundabout on Broadway with Bobby Cannavale, mm-hmm. Richard Kind, and Marin Ireland. Of course, Oscar Isaac has done a ton of mainly yeah. classical theater, like Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, Two Gentlemen of Verona. He was supposed to be in that Three Sisters at oh, New York not? Theater Workshop. I mean, I don't know. That was canceled. Uh, the, like the original production was canceled. Oh. Um, and I don't know if he's still going to continue with it or not. It's I don't think they've announced. They're outside of the theater right now. It's yeah, but I don't think they've it. announced. I don't think they've announced the cast for that one because it was going to be him and Greta Gerwig. And I don't think they've announced whether they will be returning because the original production was interrupted because of COVID. So I don't know if they're coming back to it or not. But we will see. I have a New York Theater Workshop season subscription in case they do. So there you go. Uh, All right. Let's let's keep talking about shows that have um, kind of had long gestating processes. And let's go out to Chicago. As last week, the musical adaptation of the iconic film and book, uh, The Notebook, officially opened. This show is running at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. It features music and lyrics by Ingrid Michaelson, of course, who is a a singer-songwriter of her own accord and appeared on Broadway in Atasha Green the Great Common of 1812. The book is by uh, Becca Brunstetter. It is based on the novel by Nicholas Sparks, and it is directed by Michael Greif and Shelley Williams. Katie Spellman provides the choreography. The show is running at The Yard at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and we will be playing through October 30th. Of course, as is not a surprise to anybody, this certainly has Broadway intentions. There was a very starry um, workshop of it. I think, I don't know if it was before COVID or, or in the middle of it. Uh, but this is a production that doesn't really have any big names in it. Uh, if you're familiar with the book or the film, it chronicles two characters, Ali and Noah throughout their lifetimes. And so there are three different people playing 
each Allie and Noah throughout different parts in their lives. Jordan Tyson is younger Allie. Joy Woods is middle Allie. And Tony Award winner Marianne Plunkett is older Allie. John Cardoza is younger Noah. Ryan Vasquez is middle Noah. And John Beasley is older Noah. So let's get into these reviews, starting first with Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune, who said, quote, It's an absolutely gorgeous suite of songs, landing somewhere between Duncan Sheik, Janine Tesori, and Sarah Bareilles. The music is romantic and emotionally charged, as you might expect from this particular title. But Michelson also knows how to inject dramatic drivers into battle of self-reflection, so much so that their pace grips and holds you, pulling you into the story so that you empathize with its lovers at different stages of their lives. He continues, Greif co-directs with Shelley Williams and their staging, which already is exquisite in places, prevents potentially pulpy content from bathing in its own sentiment. They do this by focusing the show relentlessly on mortality, by revealing the pain of being old, by presenting characters who can be closed off to their own emotions, by reminding us that once we've made a mistake, its consequences can last for years and, above all, by really showing what it is like to fight the decay of your own mind. Dennis Polkow for New City Stage said, quote, This is Michelson's first musical, but she has completely hit her debut effort out of the park. So much of what makes a musical work is not great songs alone, although The Notebook has those aplenty. Equally significant is how organically the music enhances the narrative, what it can communicate that words alone cannot. Here, the answer is everything. Rachel Weinberg of Broadway World said, quote, The overall effect is that The Notebook is a pretty musical indeed. The musical treats Allie and Noah's love story with a lighter touch than its source material, and the overall result is moving and graceful. In musical form, The Notebook washes over audiences instead of hitting anyone over the head with bombast and cheese. Sure, parts of the narrative are still sappy and unrealistic, but Allie and Noah's story feels more grounded and lovely in the musical. It's an approach that works well for this musical adaptation. And finally, Alan Bresloff from Around the Town Chicago just said, quote, this is a masterpiece. I'm going to be honest with you, Grace. I did not expect the reviews to be <laughs> this great. Um, we yeah. often talk about like, I did. did you? I did. Yes. I, I mean, I, I like every, I mean, I'm a fan of everybody in it, but like. I need somebody to go back into their archives because I said, I think this one's going to be the one that nails it. I really, really? do. Okay. I think that, yes. Because um, in the film, like, if you remember, like, Allie and Noah got to be uh, the same two actors, Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling, got to play young and middle. Yes. And so having three actors kind of, like, show, like, the youth, the excitement of, like, the first love and then two people that were kind of, like, torn apart in, like, their middle times and then them and their older age. Like, I think it's really brilliant. I know oftentimes on th in theatrical endeavors we see, like, three different people playing people, but there's not a lot of continuity. They're kind of three different characters in and of itself. But this one, I've heard nothing but good things. I'm so excited about Ingrid Michelson. Like, I knew that oh, yeah. she had a voice for, for musical theater in this way, the same way that people were so shocked by Sarah Bareilles and I'm like, no, these are storytellers. Like when they write songs, like they get it. Um, and then Shelley Williams, like all those factors. I said, if this fails, I, I don't know how you build a better team to support a, a, a rich, gorgeous text like the one that Nicholas Sparks kind of like set up for everyone. And this love story is just found its 
way through all these mediums. I, I was excited about it and I was hoping that I was right. So I'm thrilled that I've heard nothing but good things about this. And then the critics kind of supporting all of uh, the regular, you know, because I'm watching TikTokers as well that are like just theater goers and they're saying that it's beautiful. And yeah. especially John Carlosa is just like absolutely selling Noah. And um, I'm, I'm excited about it. I really want to see it. <laughs> I know. I, well, I'm sure we'll get a chance in New York here sooner yeah. rather than later. And I think this is probably just my... I, probably my prejudice, I mentioned the starry reading that they did that had, I don't even remember everybody who knew it, but I'm like, uh, Haley Kilgore was in it. it. What's that? Antonio from Jagged Little Pill. Oh, Antonio Cipriano, Cipriano. Yeah. Uh, but like Haley Kilgore was in it. Vanessa Hudgens was in it. So I think that part of my thinking when they went with a mostly like there are some of these people that, that we know the names of, but none of them are stars. I thought maybe like they've decided, OK, this isn't going to be the big deal that we thought it was. So we're going to go with maybe a cast that doesn't build up expectations or something. I don't know. I thought maybe getting away from the bigger names was a sign that the show wasn't up to the level of those stars. Uh, I was clearly wrong and made a poor assumption. And that's on me. All right, so let's move on with a few other real quick stories here. Unfortunately, it sounds like the second annual Antonio Awards have had to postpone. We won't necessarily get into why that is as of yet. Um, But they were originally supposed to take place at the Apollo Theater on October 10th, which is today. Uh, Unfortunately, they have postponed and Mm -hmm. they will uh, announce a new date and a new name for the awards there's a hint. Uh, come in the coming months, that will be announced at some point in the future. Um, we got this story from uh, the New York Times last week about the upcoming Broadway show Goodnight Oscar, which is starring Sean Hayes and was written by Doug Wright. This is a little messy and it kind of unfolded over social media, but apparently playwright David Ajmi took to social media to express his unhappiness about this show, considering that he had originally written a script about Oscar Levin, who is the pianist in the middle of this show, for Hayes. And then it was decided not to move forward with that. Then they got Pulitzer Prize winner right to compose this new show. And because of some different contractual things, Ajmi is unpleased with the fact that he has not necessarily been able to exercise the full extent of his rights to have his version of this show produced. It kind of boils down to the fact that Sean Hayes and his producing partner commissioned Ajmi to write this script. And once it was turned in, they decided to go in a different direction, which Grace, as you know, happens a lot happens all the time. But according to Ajmi, because of the commissioning contract that they had with this, um, there was a certain amount of time that he was blocked from developing his version of the play. And then by the time that that commissioning period mm-hmm. expired, Sean Hayes and Douglas Wright have kind of moved forward with theirs. So there was a little bit of back and forth going on with between statements and social media. But this is something to me, Grace, where it just kind of sounds like this is how these things work. Like if you get paid to write a script, there are strings attached. You know, if a producer is paying you to write a script rather than you just writing it on spec, at some point there's a statute of limitations where you can't, or a non-compete kind of thing where you can't have this produced because they've paid for it. They own it for a certain amount of time. They own it. That's that's the thing of how these things work. And it's really yeah. unfortunate. And it's it's probably very hard as, you know, an artist playwrights to understand is that like, yeah, when you're when you're commissioned, it's it's really challenging. So I yeah, I hadn't seen that. So it's upsetting. Um I know that, you know, we're working hard on on Goodnight Oscars, you know, 
campaign going forward and Sean has been so excited about it but that's such a bummer I, I you know I, I always hate it when when um, artists especially feel like the rug has kind of been pulled out under them it's already a short stick as it is right so when when things like this it, that's just uh, it's upsetting all right last story here Grace it was announced in Variety last week that pretty much every award-winning uh, songwriting duo Bench Pask and Justin Paul have their <laughs> next project uh, under their belts. It is a yeah. musical film adaptation of the popular video game series The Oregon Trail. Now, I don't yeah. maybe they have different versions that made it to your era. But like when I was a kid, Oregon Trail was the thing we played at the school computer lab it's, when I was a kid. Yeah, it was the same. It was the same okay. game. <laughs> okay, really horrible graphics. Like this was when it was yeah. like on floppy disks back in the day. And can I tell you a secret? You can. It's not a secret. Um, jokingly, uh, one day in the past, I'm talking a couple months ago, I looked up the song. Actually, I didn't. Some other people looked up the song, um, "The Reason" by Hoobastank. Okay. Okay. And if you look that song up. And you know how on Spotify, like, there will be, like, a rolling, like, little yeah. video that's kind of on a loop? I want you to go to that, and you will see that it is a clip from the Oregon Trail video game. Now, I don't know why, and I don't know why this is now entered the zeitgeist. We were mentioning it literally at the, like, <laughs> in the green room of 54 Below the other day. And the next day was the Pasek and Paul announcement of the Oregon Trail music. And I'm just like... Is this in the world? Like, are we all talking about the Oregon Trail video game? And I'm just unaware. That's just all that's been in my head for the past week is like, okay, I guess I guess it's back. I'm looking at it on Spotify right now. I, I see the Oregon Trail. That's very strange. <laughs> Weather, yeah. warm, health, poor, pace, yes. steady, ration, rations, meager. Very meager. strange. Yeah. <laughs> very strange. Um, Pasek and Paul's latest big screen musical the big screen adaptation of the classics children's book, uh, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, it was just released in theaters. Uh, they will be reteaming with the Lyle filmmakers, Will Speck and Josh Gordon, for this, quote, darkly comedic vision of the settler story. I feel like there might have been a Star Kids version of Oregon Trail. Oh, there was. Okay, there I was. thought so. People have been resurfacing the videos. So they're like, you know, Michigan kids are pissed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, who knows? Let's see. Maybe they will cast Darren Chris. Darren Chris. Yeah, maybe he's this. a part of it. I don't know. But you know what? I've been missing like that really funny, like introspective, like Pasek and Paul that we've not gotten to have because mm -hmm. they've just gone on to do these big commercial, incredible, yeah. like, you know, shows and uh, films. And so I'm kind of. I'm kind of interested in this, like genuinely, like I want to know what they're going to do with it. So they're great. Let's close it out with a feel good recommendation. And this one comes to us from the Goodspeed Opera House and their production of 42nd Street. Over the weekend, they released video of the great Kate Baldwin singing the song. I only have eyes for you from the show that is currently running through November 6th. So we will have that. In the show notes, if you want to check that out, very uh, nice to have her of all people singing such an iconic song as she does it as yeah. well, if not better than anybody else and singing kind of these old standards. So check out Kate. All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on all forms of social media at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>